welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Let's get started. Attention, visionary leaders. Are you ready to elevate your leadership style and create an exceptional workplace that stands out from the crowd? I'm here to introduce you to a game-changing resource that will transform the way you lead and shape your company culture. It's time to embrace the power of top-down culture. This practical guide empowers your leadership for lasting success, helping you create a workplace where everyone thrives. Get top-down culture today and let's reshape the future of leadership together. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. I'm really excited to bring our guest to you today. David Kitchen, otherwise known as Coach Kitch, is the founder and president of Edge Leadership Academy. He's a former Division I coach and a PhD candidate with a master's degree in sports psychology, who has a decade of experience building leaders, culture, and mindset at the highest levels of sports and business. He is the author of The Pyramid, A System for Building Tomorrow's Leaders Today, and The Scoreboard, A Self-Audit System to Help You Build the Life You Want. As a speaker, consultant, and coach, Coach Kitsch is trusted by 100-plus CEOs, coaches, and high performers to help them lead and win in business, athletics, and life. Welcome to the show, Coach. Wow, what an intro. Thank you so much. I'm excited what an to be intro. here. Indeed. <laughs> I mean, you've done so much. So... For those that don't know your story, can you share a little bit of your background? Yeah, I'll kind of give the Reader's Digest version, then we can we can unpack whatever yes, you want. Perfect. Um, so the the first thing I always start by saying is that I was I was given a really special gift, um, being that I was raised by a single mother. And so a lot of people would say, you know, that's a tough situation and this and that, but it, it was the best gift I was ever given. I mean, I, I got to watch hard work and grit and determination from a young age. Um, also got the opportunity to help raise my younger brother. And so I got to be kind of thrust into a leadership role at 10 years old, you know, and, and was forced to grow up a little bit faster than other people. Um, but it was, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And mm. so that's where I'm from originally, um, from central Pennsylvania, Northeast PA um, type area, but had the opportunity to play high school football at Berwick High School in Pennsylvania, which is a very storied program, a lot of culture, a lot of tradition there. Um, and so I was I was really fortunate to see what that looked like at a young age and see what that looked like um, from a leadership standpoint, from a culture standpoint, mm. from my high school years and was fortunate to be a good player on a great team. So shout out to my teammates for letting me ride the coattails on that one. Um, mm. But that led to the opportunity to play at Susquehanna University in college, um, got my degree in business there. And went into the workforce, not sure what I was going to do. Um, I actually started selling IT systems and I sold cloud solutions mm -hmm. um, to medium and small businesses for about a year. And I realized that this is not the future that I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started coaching high school football on the side and I fell in love with being, you know, being around the kids and being a mentor and being around athletics again. Um, and so I remember calling my mom and saying, mom, I think I'm going to quit my job and coach full time. And she's like, are you out of your mind? Like we just paid all this money, you know, for you, for you to get this, uh, this, you know, well, you didn't pay for it, but, um, to get this, this great business degree. And now you're going to go and coach. And I was like, yeah. So I sat down and I, I wrote letters to every division one school on the East coast. And I said, I'll quit my job and come work for you for free. Um, if you just give me an opportunity. 
And so I was fortunate that, you know, someone in, in at Robert Morris University liked the letter and they gave me a chance. And so I packed up my Jeep and moved to Pittsburgh and I lived in a uh, it was an old high school that they turned into apartments and they only took cash for rent. So you can kind of imagine oh the kind God. of place it was. <laughs> and that that kicked off my coaching career, you know, and then from there, spent 10 years in the college ranks and, and got the opportunity to be the youngest head strength coach in the country at 24 um, and then be the youngest in division one at 26. So, um, you know, got the opportunity to live in Las Vegas and Georgia and all over the country and see the country and compete. Um, you know, and like I said, that was a 10 year career that was phenomenal. And then transitioned during the pandemic, I decided to walk away from a coaching extension and uh, start edge leadership Academy. And so here mm -hmm. we are, you know, three years later, um, doing leadership full time, you know, having the opportunity to work with, with, uh, businesses and individuals, nonprofits, athletics, all, all across the field. And, and it's been, um, it's been a wild ride. So that's kind of the, the leaders, readers digest version. Um, there's a lot more to unpack, but you know, that's kind of the, the basis of who I am. Oh, God, coach, there, there's so much in there that I love. And the first piece that I love is that you had the wherewithal to recognize that the sales, you know, selling cloud and tech was not your sweet spot. A little bit of familiarity with that. Um, <laughs> and I I love that you knew what what made your heart sing and you just went after it with abandon. I think that's just so, so cool. So talk a little bit about Edge Leadership Academy. What is it? Who do you work with? What do you do? Yeah. So, so there's basically three legs to the business. Um, but you know, from a, from a 30,000 foot view, our mission is just to arm as many people as possible with the skills to be leaders. And when I say leaders, I don't necessarily mean in the workplace, I mean, in life and in their relationships, in their community. Um, I'm really from the stance that our country and our world is in a leadership crisis right now. Amen. Um, Same. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and I was raised in a household where you don't complain about a problem unless you're going to be the solution. Right. Um, and so that that's kind of what we're built to do, you know, and so our vision is just to be the driving the driving force behind people's success. Like we want to help people um, be successful. And so what we specifically do is we come in and, and we work across three different spaces, basically. So we have our corporate arm of our business, which is like management training, leadership training, executive coaching. Um, we do employee engagement and culture building as well. So especially in like the mergers and acquisition space. So if you're trying mm -hmm. to merge corporate cultures, we'll oh, come in that's and help. A big help. One. Yeah, we'll come in and help kind of guide that process. Yeah. Um, we work a lot with senior management. And then also we do like keynote addresses and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but our primary offering in the corporate space is the workshops and the, the management training. And then our executive coaching is the other big hit. Um, and then on the athletic side, we still do leadership coaching there. We do leadership development. And then we do a lot of like teaching programs and institutions, how to implement um, leadership councils and leadership mm -hmm. development programs within their organization. Um, we do a lot of culture building and then we work with like coaching the coaches. Uh, so one of our favorite events every year is the coaches Academy. We keep it. I think last year I charged like 20 bucks. Like I, Ooh. it's just my way of giving back. Like I yeah. love doing it. Um, so we bring in guest speakers and we host this big webinar um, for young coaches to learn how to lead and how to become more than just a coach and be a difference maker in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the athletic side. And then in the middle, we have what we call the tribe. It was formerly known as the High Performance Network, um, but it's now the tribe. So that's our community. Um, so we have an online community where it's basically a quote unquote safe space for leaders, mm -hmm. right? So we want people to share questions, share fears, share goals, 
it's an accountability group. It's, it's a lot of different things. Mm. Um, but that came from our mentorship group, which is called the table. So we have a mentorship group, which is a 12 week mentorship program run by me. And then those people transition into the tribe. And that is kind of our, our overarching uh, community that we use. And we have, you know, meetups throughout the year and retreats and things. So mm. we have our hands in a little bit of everything. Um, but, it, but it's, uh, you know, again, at the end of the day, the, the number one thing that we try and show people is, is that leadership and, and high performance and being successful are, is built. It's not born. It's not something that you're, you're predetermined with. You know, you have to, you have to go out and get it. And so we try and give the skills. I, I agree. And I love that so much. I love how thorough your vision is. And, you know, I just wrote my book. It's called Top Down Culture. It's all about leadership and culture. So I completely understand why you feel this is important. Um, I want to talk, I have a lot of athletes on my show, a lot of Olympians, a lot of pro athletes, even Paralympians, um, world champion triathletes. And I love having athletes on because the, the metaphor for a coach and performance is always so strong. So um, has that come into play a lot in building leadership? I mean, look behind you. <laughs> has that come into play a lot for you and your clients than the corporate side? Yeah, it definitely has. I think I, I think I'm kind of lucky because most people um, in my space get the academic piece first, right? So they might get a PhD in organizational leadership or, you know, whatever, or master's degree and, you know, whatever. Um, And then they go in and they try and teach it. And that's great. It's phenomenal. I'm glad that there's people doing that. The problem is, as we all know, there's a big disconnect between theory and application. Yes. And so I learned very early on in my coaching career theory is great. Execution is what wins games. And so I kind of come at it from a different realm being that I had 10 years of experience building leadership and building culture in the team setting. Right. And then I added the academic piece on top of it. So then I added the, the, uh, the background behind it. So um, we kind of reverse engineer the process. Um, So yeah, it's absolutely a big piece of what we do. And, And my philosophy when I was coaching was always that relationships are more important than rings. Um, and so now our, 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 you know, motto when it comes to our content is that connection is more important than content. Mm. Um, and so when we come in, you know, I, I, it's a coaching environment. It's very much so a coaching environment. Um, I tell people right when I start, I am not a motivational speaker. You know, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to engage in a process with you, um, and invite you to be a part of that. So I very much so take a coaching standpoint to, to our relationships with our clients Well, I love that you have this hugely academic background to layer on top of your personal experience. I think that really does add so much credibility um, to to your process. I think it's it's brilliant. So in working with all these leaders that you have, what has been um, the biggest thing you think leaders need to learn to be more modern? Because I talk about this a lot, but I want to hear your perspective. Wow, that's a a great question. I think it's kind of twofold. I think one, it it starts with getting really clear on who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is 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 just the foundation of all leadership skills, like your ability to have a solid character and have a clear vision and a clear mission and a clear set of values mm-hmm. um, is just invaluable in your ability to be a leader, right? And so what I mean by that is if you don't have those things, then you're swayed by emotion, you're swayed by external circumstances, you're unable to be consistent. And if you're unable to be consistent, you're unable to commit to things. If you're unable to commit to things, you're unable to communicate, you know, and if you can't do those things correctly, then how can you be creative, right? And those C words that I just mentioned 
are literally, we call them the five C's. They're the five most important traits of leaders. Yeah. Take us through the five C's because I I think the audience would love to hear it. Yeah. So again, it starts with character, right? So it's, it's getting clear on who you are and who you're not. Um, and, and defining your vision, your mission, and your values. And I tell leaders, your vision, your mission, and your values as a man and as a woman, and as, as a, a husband, a wife, a mother, whatever, those should blend into your workplace. Like my business is a reflection of my vision, mission, and values as a man. Mm-hmm. Is it exactly the same? No, but it's everything has my stamp on it, right? Everything has my fingerprint on it. And so if you're going to lead people, you have to start by leading yourself and knowing who you are, mm-hmm. right? So that's number one. Once you have that character, now you can start to be consistent in the way that you behave. And you can start to be consistent in your vision and what you're chasing each day. You can be consistent in the way you deploy your energy and your resources. You can be consistent in the way that you build relationships because people people navigate relationships based off pattern recognition. We want baselines. And so if you're all over the place and it's a roller coaster, why would they want to follow you? Why would they Mm -hmm. want to trust you? Why would they want to buy into what you're trying to do? If you're chasing A goal one day and then B goal the second day and then C goal the the third day, it it drives people nuts, right? And then they just, they clock out and they check out and they say, I'm done, right? So you have to be consistent in what you do. Once you're consistent in the way that you deploy your resources, then you can show your commitment. Then you can show that you're committed to the people the vision, and the organization. Now, notice I didn't say the results there because Mm -hmm. great leaders know that those results come as a byproduct of being committed to the people, the vision, and the organization, right? So once you show people what you're committed to and you do that through your daily behaviors, you do that through the way you set up your goal setting, your KPIs, what metrics you're using to measure that stuff, um, that's how you show people what you're committed to. And once they know that, then they're open to a relationship with you. And so now it comes time to communicate, which is our fourth C. Now it's all about the back end work. Are you being a great observer? Are you being a great listener? Are you being a great um, role model of the behaviors that you want from a communication standpoint? Like, I can't tell you how many leaders struggle with that, where it's like they're having meetings with somebody and their phone is on the table. And it's like, just put it away. Don't flip it over. Just put it in your pocket. You know, if you're dismissive, it increases the chances that that person is going to be dismissive towards somebody else in the building tenfold, you know? And so I I tell a lot of leaders, however you communicate with your team is most likely going to show up in how they communicate with your customers and clients. I say this all the time, model the behavior you want to see. Model it. Mm -hmm. It's it's caught, not taught, right? Mm -hmm. It's caught, not taught. And so you have to be able to communicate. And then the last C is creativity. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say creativity is because when we talk about leadership in our society, it is so closely intertwined with creativity that it almost becomes synonymous. And Mm -hmm. the reason I say that is if we talk about like businesses that did really well through the pandemic, businesses that pivoted well, businesses that implemented, you know, new systems, new processes, whatever, nobody says that they were managed through the pandemic. Right. People say they were, people say they were led, right? They led them through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We talk about a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Nobody says he managed his team to a Super Bowl. He led them to a Super Bowl. Right. Creativity is synonymous with leadership in our culture. And so your ability to know your people's strengths and weaknesses, your ability to identify the bell curve of your team and then shift that to the right, right? Towards that high performing side. That all is a, is an exercise in creativity, your ability to pivot, your ability to problem solve, your ability to get creative with the way you give and receive feedback. Creativity is a core pillar of being a great leader. 
Um, and so, you know, a lot of people in coaching say it's all about getting the right people on the bus. Well, there's more to it. Yeah. Being creative is about getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, and then figuring out who belongs in what seat. You well, know? And I think and the you- best environments for creativity are the ones that have psychological safety and trust because 100%. when you have that, that's when the innovation, the best practices, all of that stuff will occur because people aren't afraid of failure. And if they fail, they'll embrace the lessons and be able to move on with it. And I think, you know, I, I was um, being interviewed by someone once and she asked me, she said, I heard psychological safety just means that people can mail it in. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the opposite of that. Opposite. Not at all. <laughs> Psychological safety is is getting people to rise up to be their best. It's it's not do your bare minimum because that's not what we're looking for. Right. Um, but I, I love that you talk about creativity. And I think that is such a byproduct of good leadership and modern it, leadership. It absolutely is. And to your point about safety and trust, it's the number one indicator of a great culture. It's a number one indicator. And, and I say I trust ask, is your currency. Yeah. Yes. You ask managers. It's funny. We call it the trust account. So, so yeah. we're, on this, we're on the same page, right? We're on the same page. I ask managers, like, do people in your business cover up mistakes? Yes. Okay. Mm. Well, then that means there's a safety and a trust issue. Because yeah. the only reason to cover up a mistake or lie is because you're afraid of something. Such a good so question. that means you haven't wow. created a safe environment, right? And and again, I'm I'm not the sing a circle, sit in a circle and sing kumbaya type. I'm a very competitive, <laughs> yeah. you know, edgy kind of guy. Um, but I, I do, I believe in safety and trust. And I think, you know, safety is not, like you said, packing it in. Safety is, no, the people around me are going to hold me accountable to be the best version of myself because I matter to them and they matter to me and the vision matters to all of us. Hmm. I, I love that. I think that's great. So you had your master's in sports psychology and that wasn't enough. You decided you had to go for your PhD. Why? What are you studying? And what do you hope to get out of it? Honestly, the, the PhD was selfish. Um, so so what, what I mean by that, I, I one of my kind of buzz phrases is, is being selfish about being selfless, mm. right? And so I think it's my responsibility to try and be the best version of myself so that I can pour into others. Mm. Um, and so the PhD came from a place of, one, I wanted to explore myself and I wanted to understand myself better. Um, but two, I wanted to make sure that the things I was teaching were not just anecdotal. They weren't Mm. just experiential lessons. I wanted to make sure, you know, you can't argue, like they say, like men lie, women lie, numbers don't, right? You can't, you can't argue with research. And so I wanted to get that and I wanted to explore it. And then as I started it, I went down this rabbit hole because PhDs are a little bit different where as soon as you start the curriculum, you're studying what you want your dissertation to be about. And so each class, you can bring that in, you know, and from different angles of psychology. And so I'm studying developmental psychology, which is, the change in perception and the change in the way that we think and the way that we handle things and the way that we experience things throughout our lifespan. And so I went into it and I was like, okay, I want to study leadership, right? Like that was going to be my main thing. And then the more I got into it, I was like, no, I kind of want to study the underlying things behind leadership. Mm -hmm. And so what I focused on and what my dissertation will be about is the influence of identity on habit formation. So mm-hmm. how your identity and what, and I, when I say identity, I don't mean your outward identity. I mean that little voice in the back of your head when the lights are off at night, like what that voice has to do with your ability to build new habits, break old habits, mm-hmm. change habits, you know, all of those types of things. And so it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's, it, there's so many different angles. Um, and so every time I, you know, I read an article, it kind of, 
discounts what I thought before. And then you find something else that reaffirms it. And it's, it's just this really, uh, really unique, really unique field of study. That's it. That's tremendous. And I love that you're putting the, the science behind, um, or the psychology behind the, the actual behavior, because I, I do really feel like there is some psychology in all of this leadership stuff. And I had a, a guest on early on in the, in the um, podcast, Craig Dowden, and he's also a PhD and combined psychology and business. And he basically justified everything I teach with science. So I was like, you're a fabulous guest, as are you, my friend. Um, so what is some advice you would give to leaders who recognize they may have a culture problem? Some of them may not, um, meaning they may not recognize it. Um, what's your advice for a good place to start for them? I think establishing um, behaviors, right? And establishing like, what does culture even mean to you? Um, so I think every organization has two cultures. And what I mean by that is we have our stated culture, which is the one that HR wrote for you. And then you have your experience culture, which is what is actually going on on a day-to-day basis. The bigger that gap is between the two, the more problems you're going to have. Agreed. And so I think you have to start there with figuring out what is our culture? What are we going to live by? And then start assigning behaviors to that. So the easiest way to do that is to think to yourself, okay, if there's somebody, if somebody knew nothing about my business and I wanted them to get an accurate reflection of who I want our team to be, who would I introduce them to? What person on my team, right? And then you ask yourself, why? What behaviors, what what values does that person represent? What specific behaviors do they have? What habits do they have in communication, in the way that they carry themselves, in their body language, everything, right? And then identify those behaviors and start to identify markers and KPIs that you're going to use to measure your culture. And I think that a lot of times we try and and say that we're working on culture by doing employee engagement activities and by doing this and by doing that, right? But we're not actually measuring anything. And if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And so you have to identify what are the KPIs that we're going to use to measure. Maybe it is an anonymous survey. Maybe it's a 360. Maybe it's, um, you know, feedback channels have to change a little bit. You know, whatever metric you choose that fits your organization and your environment, go for it. Um, but I think you have to start by measuring your culture and getting very, very clear on who you are as an organization and where you're at. Because before you can change anything, you got to know where you're at, right? And then the other part is, I think a lot of times we rush to try and change a culture and we try and overhaul the whole thing. Sure. You don't always have to, right? If you're measuring different areas of the culture, well, then you can figure out what's working and what's not. I think that's really cool that you said that because I think not everybody has the same measure for success and culture is a feeling more than anything. So that can be very difficult to measure. And I also think it's the reason why a lot of leaders don't invest in putting people in place to help you change your culture because they're like, oh, it's a nice to have. Like one of the things I hate is when leaders say, oh, soft skills. I don't call them soft skills. I call them power skills. And to me, they're leadership tenets. They're markers of modern leadership. So I think by providing those metrics and putting that structure in place, you have something measurable to go to lean on and to say, this is how we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's so, so important. You have to, you have to have some sort of metric. You got to put some, you have to be able to, because like you said, it's a, it's a feeling, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to quantify the unquantifiable, right? 
but you have to find a way. There has to be some sort of metric. And so what, just a, a quick example of this would be we worked with a client and one of their key va- one of their core values was development that Mm. they developed from within and they were very proud of how many people from within became promoted and Mm -hmm. worked their way into senior leadership. And I said, that's great. But what about all the people that don't make it to senior leadership? Right. And what are we doing to, to invest in the people that want to have that track, but maybe aren't there yet. (laughs) Right. And so they implemented what was called a rising stars program. And so they identify people early and often and start bringing them up through that. And so to me, now we're quantifying it, right? Now we're saying, okay, how many people signed up for the program? How many people were self-identified? How many people, and you start to see this, and then you can start to look at over a, over a course of time, the Mm -hmm. trends, and you can start to say, okay, you know, how many of these people matriculated all the way to the senior level? How many people left? Because the, the concern is always what, if we invest in our people and then they leave, Mm-hmm. right and my counter to that oh. noise what if you invest what if you and don't invest in them and they stay yes. now you're stuck with them right so yes. so you it's it, to me it makes no sense but i think programs like that um go a long way in showing one we're putting action next to this value so yes development is a value for us we're putting action next to it two we're going to use it to quantify over time you know what the rewards are what the roi is for us as an organization yeah, I think that's a very old school way to think. And whenever I'm talking to leaders about investing in their people, and I talk a lot about LinkedIn and how if you empower your people to enhance their LinkedIn profiles and build a personal brand, that looks good on you. And the the some of the comments that I get from the old school mentality of, I don't want them on LinkedIn. They're going to look for a new job. Well, you have to understand LinkedIn is no longer just an online resume. It's your platform for expertise. And if you invest in your people and teach them how, first of all, that's a really wonderful thing for them. Um, But it also, any content you give them looks a lot better (laughs) if you've invested in them that way. So yes, they could leave, but they could stay. Um, So yeah, I think that old school thing is still there, um, but it needs needs to fall by the wayside for sure. So, okay, here's a question for you. What inspires you? What inspires me? People trying, people chasing that thing that keeps them up at night. Like when I talk to somebody and it's, this is a great question, great timing with this. I just had a conversation with somebody and they were talking about, uh, it it didn't matter what the context was, but he was talking about something and he got really excited. I could see it in his face and I Mm. I could hear it in his voice. And he was like, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. And I'm like, no, don't be sorry for that. Like that inspires me. Like I love when I can feel the energy from somebody that they're passionate about. I don't care what it is. It can be cooking, woodworking, et cetera. Like when people find that thing and they chase it and in whatever capacity, it doesn't have to be a professional. It doesn't have to be a a money-making thing. It could be just a hobby or whatever, Yeah. but that inspires me. Like I love seeing that. I I really love winning. Like I I love seeing people win, you know, and that sounds so cliche and so corny, but like, I still get chills, literally physical chills. Like when I watch sports on TV and I see competition or if I, if I see somebody that's really passionate about their business, make it through something like Mm -hmm. I love that stuff. So that's, that's what fires me up. That's what inspires me. I I love that too. And, and I think connecting people to their passion when they don't even realize that's what it is, that's as a coach, that's such a, a wonderful moment. And yes. and I think the, the competition is healthy. I love friendly competition. I love when my teams recognize that competing lifts us all up. It's not, you know, I'm going to dunk on you. <laughs> I don't know 
<laughs> it's more like, hey, you're winning. It's making our team look good. That's going to get us more funding, more resources, more accolades. It's better for all of us when we lift each other up. So I love that. Um, what would you like your legacy to be? So I I have a very simple vision, mission, and value statement. Um, and and the way I think of legacy is this: it's it's the first paragraph of your eulogy, right? It's the first paragraph that somebody speaks about you in in the church. Yeah. And so when I think about it, I want that person to stand up there and say, you know, David left a legacy for his family to be proud of. Um, he inspired greatness in everybody that he came across. He was honest. He was caring. He was driven, and he was committed to growth. And if somebody says that about me at my funeral, then I became the man I was supposed to be. I love it. I love it. What a wonderful, wonderful uh, legacy to have. And my friend, I think you are knee deep in your legacy right now. So I'm so happy to know you and very, very impressed at what you've created. I mean, what you're doing is not small and um, to have as many clients as you have, it's, it's fantastic. So more of this please. It's, Thank you. it's so, so important. So any last words of wisdom for um, people that need to follow their passion or um, haven't figured out what that is yet? Because you're so good at that. Yeah, just take big swings. T take big swings. Like the, the, the biggest thing that I've taken away from having the opportunity to be around successful people, quote unquote, you know, by the by the external metrics, um, whether they're professional athletes, elite businessmen, entrepreneurs, whatever. Um, they're not special. They're not, they're not special. They're not different than me and you. They're not different than anybody. Yeah. They have just been intentional about living a life and building systems and processes that support their, their wants and their needs. And they make the, the good decisions obvious and the hard decisions harder, right? Mm. So they create friction or remove friction in their lives. Um, and all that does is reduce the likelihood of failure. And so, you know, my advice to everybody is just take big swings. You are capable of so much. You just, the tools are out there. You might not have it right today. It's okay to fly the plane and build it at the same time. I've been doing it my whole life. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and what's next for you? I mean, I know we've got the dissertation, but what else? We have the dissertation. Um, we have some new things launching this fall. So we have uh the tribe uh, will be officially launching to the public in November. We have um, our mentorship group 2.0, the table that will be end of October. And then I'm working on another book um, that is in the process and still a long ways off, but it's, it's getting there. Um, so, you know, what's next for us is just keep making impact day by day, you know, just Amazing. lay a brick every single day. That's all we Amazing. can do. And how do people find you? I am again, simple man at coach D Kitch on every, everything, every platform, Instagram, we'll, Twitter. We'll you know, put that up. So not to worry, yeah. but yep, coach, it was a total pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for sharing all of your words of wisdom with this audience. And um, I'm just so happy to know you. So thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of heartbeat for hire. Take care of yourselves. Stay well. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at Lindsay Dowd, H4H. Or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.